This podcast is brought to you by Big Heads Media Podcasts. For more great podcasts, go to bigheadsmedia.com. Hello and welcome to episode five of the 15 Minutes of Football podcast. We're in association with Big Heads Media and Transfer News Central, of course. And once again, Jordan is here. He is. He's always here. He's always here. Well, you know, cheap, cheap um, appearance fee. So, uh, in fact, he pays to come on. So that's why that's why we're there. I mean, someone needs to pay me to come on to these things. But... What are the topics today? Let's always. let's give a bit of a roadmap. Come on. Fantastic. So roadmaps are the in thing, especially in the UK with Boris Johnson set to release his roadmap next week. That should be exciting for everyone, I imagine. Um, and the roadmap for this show is as follows. We're going to have a look at the relegation battle, which is quite, it's heated quite, uh, quite a lot up uh, in recent weeks because there's a lot of teams, as you were saying, off air, Jordan, that quite simply don't deserve or shouldn't be going down, but they might well do just that. We'll also be looking at some of the Champions League and Europa League fixtures with those events, the knockout stages coming into play very shortly. Then we'll be moving on to our club analysis of Southampton, a team that started the season so well. We're actually top of the league in December and are now in the bottom half. And I'm not going to say in contention for relegation because I think that's quite a that's a bit of a stretch, but they aren't doing as well, nowhere nearly as nowhere near as well as they were doing first half of the campaign. And then we're going to move on to our foreign football analysis with a particular look at the Bundesliga this week with some interesting developments at Borussia Dortmund, particularly today coming into play with their new manager or the appointment of Marco Rosa in the summer of this year. So that's going to be interesting for them. They aren't in a good position themselves. And the German Bundesliga is looking quite interesting with Bayern at the top, as one might expect. But first, we'll go to topic numero uno, which is the relegation battle. And we've talked about this in terms of we've we've analysed West Brom, we've analysed Sheffield United. And we felt that both of these teams probably will go down. Is there a case right now for any of them to stay up? For either of those two. I mean, West Brom played well this weekend. Sheffield United lost again, but I think they've showed a bit of more endeavour in the last few weeks. But yeah, I think they're both goners, to be honest. Yeah, I mean... the, the you prim- just look at the table, don't you? And three have to go down either way, so... Yeah, I mean, the primary focus really will be the other teams around that, because actually, if you really are interested in our views on Sheffield United or West Brom, then I think they're covered in previous podcasts where we did a 15-minute look at both of the clubs and why we felt that with Sheffield United, there was at least some optimism for next season to come straight back at the first time of asking after going, possibly with preempting their going down. They could do a Norwich City, keep keep stock of what they have, come straight back up with Chris Wilder. And even though the, the class wasn't quite as half full with West Brom, we still do think, I suppose, that if they if they can find a manager who they can keep hold of a bit more long term, there's still some players there. I think that can yeah uh, certainly be competitive in the championship, but they do look a bit short. I think in the top division. So let's go up a little bit then to uh, some of the other teams. Uh, pr- primarily got Brighton, Fulham, Burnley, Newcastle. Uh, they're the four really that 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 yeah that are in in and around the mix and. I guess we'll start with you uh, on 
on your thoughts on Fulham, really, because obviously your team Everton played Fulham at the weekend. And this. Got a bit of a got a bit of a, a pace. Got run really. all over the park, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, and it wasn't a nice watch for me. But mm. if you're a Fulham fan, that is exactly what you want to see. And I think they looked very confident. The, they, they were trying things that were maybe a little bit risky, but they were coming off. And, and I mean, they were passing around as though they were in a champ fighting for Champions League. Yeah, I mean, um, they, they, it, it, I, I noted actually in the in the notes for this show that one thing about Brighton and Fulham um, that that, that, is, that is really good is the clear identity that both teams have at the club. So Scott Park has done remarkably well, actually, because he inherited a Fulham team that was in disarray a little bit, actually. Uh, the team that inevitably went down in the 1819 uh, season. There's a lot of egos in that club, a lot of players that didn't really fit into a style. And he managed to get rid of some of that dead wood and he managed to recruit a few of his own players and he managed to get a style that worked. Using the three at the back as a base for passing football, playing through the lines, um, play, playing in a, in a way that was not only aesthetically pleasing, but conducive to getting some results. Um Brighton the same Graham Potter progressive manager likes to play out from the back using the back three as a base the XG Kings Brighton yeah and and both of these teams because they have a clear identity you can say you know what I can see these surviving because they look like they know what they're doing and most importantly the way they are playing is conducive to picking up points and you can say that because they've both drawn quite a lot of games this season um, I think Brighton, and I've not got this down to the staff, I think Brighton have drawn the most games in the Premier League. And while that's well, not perfect, it's a platform to build upon. I'm just going to double check that yeah. stat. It's, yeah, 11 draws, more than anyone in the league. And then Fulham, with nine draws, that's the second most of anyone in the league. So again, while it's not perfect, the platform is clear with those draws. Fulham definitely need to start picking up more wins though and I think that they've now got that got that, that the, something to build off actually after beating Everton and as I say the way they played they looked like a team that that don't deserve to go down and especially the fact that the, the new sign Josh Madger has got two goals on his debut uh, is a very good sign for them because you we've watched them play and they've been They've, they've almost lacked that number nine who's going to put the ball in the back of the net and they've lacked that clinical player. Luckman has been exceptional all season, but in front of goal, he's been useless. And it's the same with quite a few of the players. Uh, as I say, Josh Madge has come in and two goals in his debut and hopefully for them, he'll carry on. I think the thing that was, was interesting with Fulham is they had uh, Alexander Mitrovic, who was the Championship's top goal scorer last season, I believe. I think he got 26. He was, yeah. And he, he's actually quite prolific at championship level, proven obviously as as last season's goal scoring record illustrates. But the issue I think with Mitrovic is, and I've said this before, he's not he's not well suited to Fulham's style of play. So while you looked at Fulham's team and said who's most likely to get ten plus goals in that Fulham team, and you'd say the answer is Mitrovic, the problem is that it would be a disconnect to almost the way the, the rest of the team play. So Mitrovic thrives on aerial balls, physical tussles, ball to feet, not necessarily moving too much. And if he gets presented with opportunities, you could imagine he would get 
it could get double figure goals in the Premier League. It's a very big possibility, certainly more than Fulham's other strikers until Josh Meyer um, came in in, the, in in January. But the problem was that, again, it was at odds. It's the square peg in the round hole analogy. He was at odds with the rest of the the rest of the style that, that that Scott Parker was trying to play. Um, so that's why I think it was essential that they brought someone in there. And with Brighton, you've again got a lot of decent options, but no standout forward options. So Welbeck, Malpai, Trossard well, plays it up front. It sounds as I said before, they're, they're the XG kings. If you look at the, the XG table, they're, they're fighting right up in the Europa League positions. Mm. Uh, but as, as you've alluded to, the fact that they don't have that clinical finisher, they're massively underperforming their XG. And this Brighton. Brighton, yeah. yeah. Brighton. Yeah. And I, I, I think if they were to bring in a, a striker who's capable of putting the ball in the back of the net, then they would see much better results. And it's it's a good sign for Potter and Brighton. And I, I don't think that they'll go down. Mm. Uh, although they're, they're in that position, obviously. They're, they're almost being dragged into it because of the fact they don't have that goal scorer. Okay, so what's the difference then between these two teams and two clear identities? Both, I think both very similar in the ways they want no, to I play. No, I agree. I think they are similar, but I think Brighton have better players, to put it simply. Particularly at centre-back. Centre particularly at centre-back. Well, Brighton, they, they seem to be pumping out these six-foot-four guys that are all pretty competent centre-backs. And the mm. fact that he can play three at the back and still have Dan Byrne playing as a roaming left wing-back says a lot about <laughs> that Brighton team. Mm. Uh, so, so yeah, I think it's just a, a case of they have more quality across the pitch and especially mm. with Yves Basuma in the middle. Mm. Anguis has done a pretty good job at Fulham in this, a similar position, but I don't think he's quite the same calibre. Mm. Yeah, no, I would agree. I do think that Brighton have... A, yeah, I, I think I think actually Graham Potter's a very good manager to have, to have at Brighton because he's developed a lot of these players. Basuma... There's one that's developed, as you alluded to, Tarek Lamptey, who's not played for quite a while now, also no. developed a lot under under Potter. And yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think one thing that dif- is different between Fulham, Brighton and, say, Norwich from last season is that what I've, what I've already talked about for, for quite a bit of this section is the philosophies aren't detrimental to picking up the points as we see with those draws. It's the, the very northern, those draws. Those draws. Uh, those draws. No, they, um, they also have a pretty decent goalkeeper. Uh, well, Fulham mm. do at least in Areola. I, I think he's certainly been helpful to them in picking up those points, those yeah. extra points. And he, I mean, that might be the difference between staying up and not staying up. Yeah. Uh, Brighton obviously dropped Matt Ryan, who I think is an okay keeper. He's done all right for Brighton in the past. Uh, now at Arsenal, obviously. But that that was clearly an issue for them and that they've improved since Sanchez has come in into the yeah. side. Well, yeah, I think I think when I thought of Norwich last season, I thought they played a philosophy and a style not too dissimilar to this, but I actually think the back four is harder to do it with at a small club than the back three because the back three is a back five when you're struggling. And if the yeah. centre-back makes a mistake, he's got a mate covering him quite close by. And Norwich, I remember when Norwich were playing and it wasn't going well. They still played in the same way. The full-backs were like wing-backs, and you had two centre-backs, and one mistake, and they were just cut open. And it was that's why I think they just collapsed. Yeah. You know, when they, when well, they, when they... So, I mean, Brighton 
uh, are on the same number of points as Burnley and Newcastle. Yeah, Newcastle do have that extra game. They're playing right now as we record yeah. this. They're, they're losing one nil to Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, we can maybe imagine that they'll stay on twenty six points as well. Yeah. But out of the three of them, I think mm. you've got Brighton, who look promising. I think yeah. they'll be okay. Burnley, who've done it all over and over again every mm. year. Yeah, we've got Sean Dyche, who's an exceptional manager, I think. And then you've got Newcastle, yeah. who, on balance, I would argue are worse than Fulham. But you look at the yeah. Premier League table, and that's maybe testament to, to Steve Bruce, actually. Well, you make a good, yeah. I mean, just to, just to really finally nail home that point as well. Actually, when you talk about Sheffield United, like we do, and say they're probably down because of the first half of the season, now they're making a better fist of of surviving. They also play. A little bit like Brighton and a little do, bit like yeah. Fulham, um, but again, I think I think this, the difference again between those is probably quality again, because I think, I think yeah, it, it drops off again. I think I mean every team's been affected by injuries, but Sheffield United this season, yeah. we we covered it in the past. But I mean, John Egan's done his ankle again this tonight, mm. so they've they've been particularly unlucky I think compared to and they have because it's weird because the points total suggests terrible but in actual fact many of the games were lost yeah. with fine margins so instead of where Fulham and Brighton they were picking up a lot of draws well it that was almost they wanted to get them into wins with Sheffield United it was almost like they wanted some draws and they were in defeat they were ending in defeat so it's another yeah. fine margins take. Yeah. a lot um, of a lot of 1-0 games I seem to recall or 2-1s hmm. Yeah, no, you're spot on. Yeah, and just to touch on Burnley, obviously, my the team I support as well. And I think we talk about clear identities and it's not all about, you know, we said, oh, Brighton and uh, Fulham, we think they can survive because they have a clear identity. But so do Burnley yeah. and it, it's, it's not... No, absolutely. And it is different. And people sort of stereotype Burnley, long ball, aggressive, ugly anti-football some of that's true there is a lot of direct football at Burnley there's a lot of physical uh, physicality that's utilised more so in Burnley's team than it would be in other teams set pieces are very important um, mm-hmm. and the centre-backs are actually attacking goal threats and, yeah. it's, and it's seen as a conducive way to find goals and in the fact, Burnley, according to this last weekend <laughs> yeah yeah true true uh, not, not usually but yeah very true but this last weekend actually against Crystal Palace shows that Burnley didn't try, they didn't really play flashy football playing out from the back as such, but they played forward quickly and it wasn't aimless long balls. It was getting no. the ball quickly out wide, firing balls in from early and then causing yeah. panic in the Crystal it's, Palace defence. It's very effective, isn't it? And it's it's Dice's bread and butter and it's it's actually quite entertaining at times. And I think the, the big thing for Burnley is that kind of back three of Nick Pope, Tarkovsky, and me. Yeah. And I think that the three of them is just something that no matter what, as long as the three of them stay fit, Burnley will be a tough team to play against and a tough team to break down. What? And although they they lack firepower, uh, mm. just like some of the other teams, mm. they don't necessarily need that extra goal that, that you might get from a good striker. Yeah. No, true. And, it, and it, you t- talk about Brighton and Fulham, they... they bring about risk with the way they play. Burnley don't do that. It's minimal risk. It means less possession. It means there's more of a confidence to, in defending, I think, maybe, than you'd say with Brighton. I mean, Brighton and Fulham defend actually quite well. But no, they do, yeah. They they, do. But they want it's to take good. the game to opponents as opposed... I mean, Burnley do. But Burnley are also happy in sitting sitting deep, frustrating the opposition, waiting like, like, like an animal trying to 
try to latch onto its prey. Burnley, it's just Burnley are very good at limiting the op- opposition to like kind of taking pot shots and, uh, and and efforts from outside the area rather than really being able to break them down. And and that's something, as I say, I think that's just going to be what keeps Burnley in the Premier League for uh, as long as Dyche is there, as long as you keep at least some investment. To get to uh, Newcastle now, and actually that's quite, this is only briefly on Newcastle, because we talk about the philosophies and the style of the other teams and we see the pattern that they do. You don't really see that with Newcastle because obviously they were quite deep, deep block defence under Rafa Benitez and they were they kind of carried that through under Steve Bruce, but then Steve Bruce says he doesn't want to play like that, he wants to do it his way. What is Steve yeah. Bruce's way? Well, he says to play I a don't think Steve up the Bruce pitch. Knows. <laughs> no, now I put Newcastle's survival chances down to one player, really. Two, maybe. Callum Wilson, who's currently out for about eight weeks. And yeah. also Alan well, St-Maximan. Alan St-Maximan. When Burnley played Newcastle at the start of the season, Burnley were out of form. The game was between two teams that didn't really know, looked like they could win the game. The difference was Alan St-Maximan, who was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Alan St-Maximan carried Newcastle's attack um, in terms of he could carry the team forward 20, 30 yards. His end product was a bit hit and miss, but he's just so good on the ball. He'd, get, he'd win he, fouls, no, he he'd is, win free he kicks. He's very, very good on the ball, but I don't think he's someone that they can rely on consistently to get that output, whereas they can with Carlin Wilson. But as you say, the fact he's out for eight weeks mm. means mm. Newcastle could be in, in big trouble. And I think that of the of those three teams that, that aren't, are not currently in the, in the uh, bottom three, I think Newcastle are the ones that are most likely to to really be pulled into it by Fulham. And I mean, you never know. Maybe West Brom, maybe Sheffield United. You see, of all the teams we've mentioned there, for me, I, I, I take I take against the St. Maximan comment. I think he's the best player out of the, all the teams we've mentioned. By see, I disagree. I, I, I do. I, and Newcastle without him. I'm a him, big Masuma fan, so. Yeah. No, but I'll say this now. Newcastle without St. Maximan were clueless in an attacking sense, like clueless. And Wilson, the problem is... St Maximan, by hook or by crook, gets the ball forward, creates opportunities in some kind of capacity. Now, having him and Wilson on, that's great because Wilson can finish. Without St Maximan to do that, they don't have the same person who can carry that ball forward, create things out of nothing, sometimes by accident. And I would worry with if, if St Maximan gets injured alongside Wilson, they are in yeah. serious I think I think Wilson's a bigger impact for them, though, than St Maximan, honestly. Hmm. Well, I disagree. Agree to disagree on that one. Fantastic, yeah. Okay, topic two, different shift now. Back onto the top of the um, the top of the tree in many ways because we're looking at Europa League and Champions League matches. Now, again, the knockout stages are coming around now, and it seems to have been a long time. Got Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, by the time this podcast goes out, Liverpool will have played their first game, uh, first leg against uh, RB Leipzig. They will, and. They're not travelling to Leipzig, though, are they? No. No, I mean, it's <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, I actually think, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was quoted to say this, that they should make the legs one leg affairs because with this yeah. ridiculous congestion... Well, there's going to... I think the big, the biggest issue... So, so they're playing away in Hungary uh, against Leipzig. I think the biggest issue is that away goals are still going to count. So that rule's going to count. So you can have a team that's not played a home match that's going to go out on away goals. How is that a, a fair competition? I don't know. That that like yeah, I, I think it's I think it's crazy. I, I I think after this, I know last season they did the first set of knockout games over two legs, and then they changed it to one. I think they should do that again because I. No, I agree. It, it, it one just, leg. Yeah, and it and it was quite exciting because you knew. I, yeah, I you know, think like, it's more exciting. 
Yeah, a bit like when the FA Cup doesn't go to replays, you know it's going to penalties. Yeah. In the same sense, I do think... I guess the, the one issue is you miss kind of the the the, the big games like... I, I mean, I remember the Liverpool one against Barcelona. You miss mm. those games where there's one team that's 4-0 up and mm. the other have to go out for everything in the second leg. Well, that's very true, but that was only uh, heightened somewhat with the with the packed stadiums. I mean, can you no, imagine? Yeah, can right, you imagine right. Liverpool four 0 with no one behind the goals? It would be crazy, <laughs> wouldn't it? I mean, what do you do? It just doesn't. You lose everything. So I don't think we can kid ourselves that we'd replicate that in any sense without the return. Oh, absolutely of not. No. But right. uh, anyway, from from the actual footballing perspective, I mean, we both had a look really at um, at the Champions League, and from my point of view, I know you're looking at Manchester City as. From my yeah. point of view, I know you're looking at, so I didn't even fill yeah, out my so... point of view. But from your <laughs> point of view, looking at City as, as, as favourites, and to be honest, I can see that. Um, do you think, though, that going on forefronts could be a hindrance to them somewhat along the way in one of these competitions? It, I think it could be, but I, I just think Guardiola this season has something. He's got something in him. He's got a fire in his belly. There's there's that glint in his eye that he used to have when he was. He was on top of the world at Barcelona. There's just something about him. He's exuding confidence this season. And I think it's because of the fact that he lost the title so heavily last season to Liverpool. Uh, and obviously, he's kind of this, this reputation of him doing badly in the Champions League has been growing each season. I, I just think this, he really wants that this season. And I think that they might well get it. Although your favourites, Bayern Munich, would be my second favourites. They're, they're the team that I think are the ones City would have to beat to win it. Well, I'm probably being horrendously boring, actually, by choosing Bayern Munich. And, yeah, uh, that's, well, that's right on character, isn't it? Really? And I usually leave that to you, so I didn't want you to feel left out in Boring's Corner, dot wherever you are. So I thought I'd join you there. And I think it's really difficult. I mean, Bayern's just won the Club World Cup, something we'll discuss a little bit later in our roundup of the German football. Well, outside, you know, outside of Germany, but hey-ho. <laughs> I think they are, you know, a phenomenal team with which has just got strong. Again, we'll talk about Bayern more in, in the Bundesliga roundup with their new signing, Dio Upamecano, who will arrive in the summer from RB Leipzig. Wonderful signing, strengthens an ageing defence. That's a boring signing, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, no, it's anyway, a good signing, we'll that's what it is. But anyway, yeah. A little bit later. I look at Bayern and I do think, and we saw how much they dominated in European the European tournament last season. For me, the best goalkeeper in the world, experienced Brilliant Certainly with the ball at his feet. Um, well, he was the original sweeper keeper. He was the it was the person who could ping a ball 50, 60 yards accurately. Okay, we can say now, well, Edison does it a little bit better, but hey, Neuer's not too bad at that as well. No, and he's just so confident. When you've got Neuer, he's a wall. He's a wall in the goal. And, I, he, and it builds from there, really. The centre-backs, I don't think at the moment, are particularly the best in the world by any means, but they're fast. No. They allow them to have a high line. Got Benjamin Pavard at right back, who is, um, you know, a World Cup winning right back for really, really, uh, I would say, underrated performer on the right hand side of defence. On the at left back, you've got one of the best young left backs in the world. I mean, the whole eleven really is a is a is a stellar lineup, and it's really tough to improve it. They lost they lost Thiago, regarded by many, maybe not right now, but regarded by many <laughs> in the summer as one of the best midfielders in the world. They lost him, and they didn't. Baton Island because they knew that Leon Goretzka was coming in and Joshua yeah. Kimmich is alongside him. He's certainly, he's certainly really strengthened Liverpool this season as well. We, we, yeah, but we're not talking about Liverpool. Well, we, we are in a second. <laughs> we might be in a second. 
Um, again, I, I don't want to go through the whole lineup because, and that seems to be the way I'm going because the attacking talents speak for themselves. Sane, Coman, that's the point. Yeah, you could do Coman, Gnabry, Lewandowski, Muller. You know, it, it's quite it's quite clear that from one to eleven they are brilliant. But at the same point, I take your point with City as well. Could go through City one to eleven and say similar things. I Absolutely. just think, I just think there's a bit more of an arrogance from Bayern's point of view, an experience and an arrogance instilled really with the recent Champions League victory that they can go and do this again. Almost stereotypically, the German confidence. I think they're going to, yeah, I, I I can't look past them, but I can see City as well. But outside of those, you know, there's some other candidates. I want to get on the Europa League a little bit as well. Um, so we'll just talk a little bit, uh, briefly a bit around this. Where do you see Liverpool? Atletico Madrid, Juventus. Do you see any of these challenging, or maybe even? I think I think Atleti might put put a push up. Mm. I think that they're this season. Obviously, they're they're doing amazingly in the in La Liga. Yep. Suarez is on almost the form of his life. Yeah. He's he's got an outrageous record in scoring at the minute. Uh, they they have, in my opinion, the best goalie in the world, and they have a a real a real winning mentality that's instilled by Simeone, and I think that they. As I say, I think that they could also push 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 their, the the other competition. Mm. I don't think Liverpool will beat Leipzig. That's my kind of no. bold prediction. Well, why is that? What what what? Why 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 are you thinking that? I obviously the form Liverpool are in at the minute, mm. the fact that they won't have that Anfield atmosphere, that, that mm. famous European atmosphere that they do have in Liverpool, which is, yeah. admittedly is pretty good. Mm. Uh, and Leipzig are in great form. I think they're on four wins on the bounce now. They've got a fantastic manager who's a bit of an e- evil villain. I think. Uh, Nagelsmann uh, and I think yeah. he's a manager that will go right to the top if he isn't already there I guess you mm. could argue mm. uh, yeah I just I just fancy Leipzig mm. no it's interesting I mean um, is there anyone else that you throw your hat on maybe because we're sort of around a few of the usual the usual suspects obviously, obviously Atleti's in the fold now maybe Juventus with Ronaldo his partnership with Morata seems to have appealed to many people yeah uh, I mean yeah You've always got a chance with Ronaldo, really, but I, I just don't fancy them to. I, I don't think that their team is is the same caliber as Bayern Munich or Man City. I don't. But think- I think one one interesting thing would be if they were to go to one leg. I think it blows it wide open because I think anyone could beat anyone in that scenario. And also, Barca PSG play. I think don't they? they well, I think uh, that's an interesting game. Yeah. I can't. I can't really see Barca with <laughs> Ronald Koeman at the helm. Doing too much. Doing a bit PSG better now, though, aren't they? Doing a bit better. They're a little bit better, but yeah, yeah. still not at the, the the level they should be. Barcelona. I mean, this is a club that have won it all. I was just going to say, similar to with Ronaldo, when you got Messi and Messi scored two absolutely yes. outrageous goals for them. This he did, weekend. yeah. So, no, he did. So. You've always got a chance with Messi, and there's no name after PSG either. Yeah. So yeah, that that's probably the the interesting tie of the of the draw, isn't it? Mm. What about Real Madrid? I mean, I'm not going to write them off, but I they're not the same formidable outfit they were. They're not. Probably, no. They're not. I think they're still relying on these the old guard almost, and that's exactly it. They're the old guard mm. getting on a bit. Yeah, well, I think actually when you look across Europe, teams are a lot weaker than they were four or five years ago. It seems to be the case anyway. Particularly Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSG will be without Neymar. Juventus, I feel, have got a little bit weaker to the teams that were nearly challenging to win the competition a few years ago. 
I think yeah. across the board, it's a lot weaker. Liverpool's in a bad position now. Well, Bayern um, are a lot better than they were a couple of years ago, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, but but that's what I mean. You before you could say, oh, it's four or five teams now. Like you said, Bayern City, Atleti as an outsider, maybe. But yeah. it's difficult, isn't it, to look beyond those? Anyway, Europa League briefly. We've got about four minutes on this. Um, yeah. So where we, where we're we looking with this? Because I. You know, obviously, you actually... Tottenham. <laughs> I know. I actually, I've I've been saying on many podcasts on this uh, on on these podcasts that Inter Milan will be a good chance of winning Serie A because they're not in any European competition. And then when we were compiling this, I said, "Oh yeah, Inter Milan." The shock. Well, first of all, I know they're not in the European Europa League. I don't know why I said it. <laughs> I know why I said it actually because it seems so surprising not to see a team like that in a European competition. Well, However, the, the the manner in which they did go out as well it was a bit ridiculous. Finishing bottom of the group, yeah. It do, it's just unheard of. But it gives a chance for someone else, and we're both thinking maybe Tottenham, given that one Jose Mourinho is a winner holic. Um, and two, they might not be fighting for anything in the league, so he could he could go for yeah. for that in his basket. But at the same time, you can apply that token to a few teams. Arsenal would be a good one to apply that to as well, because they are definitely not fighting for anything in the league, and they've looked good in Europe. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Plus, I think I, I, I respect Arteta and his tactical now. So I think that in any given game, he's always, almost always got a chance, at least, of pulling something out the bag. Mm. Yeah, I mean, with with Mourinho as well, we talk about that he's a winner and he's this and he's that. And if he puts his eggs in the Europa League basket, then you know he he has comp- he has experience of winning cup competitions and he loves knockouts, probably more so even than domestic leagues at times. But that, as I've, as we've said on this podcast before, and this isn't and it's, this isn't an attack on Mourinho in any sense, but the players that he's working with across the board are generally not very good. No, I mean, there's two. been a bit of there was a bit of outrage actually at that tweet, wasn't there? There was a lot of people that didn't like Ooh. that. Yeah, I know. I yeah. did. My analytics <laughs> did. Yeah. <laughs> no, but well, I think the main point that we wanted to make was that outside of Kane, particularly, and also Son, yeah. the, the team isn't that good, is it? Mm. Compared to maybe the if the bar is Champions League level, yeah. it's it's not that caliber. Uh, particularly the centre-backs and particularly Hugo Lloris who's had an mm. absolute shocker the last few games mm. but yeah I mean I, I think they have a chance in the Europa League I think Man United have also got a decent chance and I mm. think Oli needs to win a trophy yeah uh, yeah I don't know you see the thing with United is they're still fighting in the FA Cup still fighting for the top four and still within a chance a very 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 outside chance of the title so it depends if they'll manage to manage that schedule in, in an effective way because I know Tottenham now they have no cup competition well they have the final but they're not in the FA Cup anymore so they've got the Carabao yeah. Cup final top four is looking sketchy so yeah I mean the, 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 it's about managing schedules will be really important I think at this point so I'm I'm not sure United will do it because they're fighting already on an FA Cup front. They could even, they've, they've got an outside chance of the league or even the prestigious trophy of finishing second seems to be something that many people <laughs> want to do. So it, it's 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 tougher for them, I think, to manage uh, and for Solskjaer to work out where his priorities lies at the moment because I'd expect quite a few changes against Sociedad. Outside of England, though, uh, last minute or so on this, Milan's obviously second now in Serie A, but they are obviously Definitely with a shout given how they start the season. Ajax. Definitely capable. Well, Ajax and PSV, uh, yeah. there's a proper title race in the, the Dutch division. Mm. Uh, I think they're both capable as well. They've got good sides. 
Well, I, I think with Ajax as well, I thought they were a bit unlucky to not go through to the knockouts, really. They, again, you can't you marvel at the way they play football. and it, it, At times, it was just almost an individual quality thing, the reason they went out of uh, of the Champions League group stages. They played all the right, they sang all the right notes. They just couldn't couldn't finish off some of the good chances, made a few defensive mistakes, key uh, moments. But again, yeah, they've done well in Europa League before and I'm sure, I'm sure they could resurrect so, uh, some of that past form again. Just to finish, we've, mm. you've said Bayern for Champions yeah. League. One word, yeah. Europa yeah. League winner. I will go for Milan. You see, that's funny because I put Milan and you put Spurs before and you've just switched that over. Did I? I well, I've just had a think so about it now, honestly. That's yeah, interesting. I've, <laughs> no, I've, I've thought about it now. And the reason why I'm thinking about it now is if Inter start to pull away in the title race, Milan will <laughs> I thought you were going to say win. Inter are going to win it, to be honest. Milan will want to win yeah. to mark this wonderful season. And I think that could be a way that they do it. And I do think Tottenham could have a chance, but I'm just thinking... The way they're set up, they've played some lovely stuff this year. Ibrahimovic, personality at the top of the tree. I think that I think it could be that. You're just trying to wind Spurs fans up, aren't you? I'm not, I'm not. (laughs) Anyway, topic number three. Yeah. As always, we're we're doing another analysis on a Premier League club. And this week falls to the feet of Southampton, who have had obviously under Ralph Hasanutal, they've had two nine losses now. Yeah. Yet he's still regarded as one of the top coaches in the league and he's not in danger of losing his job. Yeah, uh, no, I think it's one of those scenarios where in about 10 years' time, you'll say, can you remember Ralph Hasenhutl? And all the Southampton fans will remember fondly and they'll say, yeah, we played some lovely football under him, we had some good memories, we were top of the league in December 2019, uh, 2020, well, sorry. Then they'll say... Ronald Koeman at Southampton or... Well, no, no, but they'll have fond memories, I think, of him uh, and, and what he stood for and his emotion and his passion on the uh, on the touchline. But then if you ask any neutral fan in 10 years' time, can you remember Ralph Hasenhutl, they'll go, oh, yeah, that's the guy who lost twice 9-0 in the league. Yeah. And it's that sad, He's really. always going to have that, isn't he? Yeah, it's a sad tag to have, um, unfortunately. And, but like, we've, like we touched on, uh, like you touched on, sorry, in the open to this, it's one of those situations where... The fact that he's not under threat for losing his job despite losing 9-0 twice is testament to how respect how good a job and how respected he, he is yeah, at Southampton. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we we've actually we've said that they're they're unlikely to get dragged into the, the, the bottom the relegation battle, aren't they? They're on twenty-nine points, mm. but they've also lost six games on the bounce, mm. which I mean that is relegation form by definition, yeah. isn't it? That's yeah. since that's since beating Liverpool as well, which is a strange one. Could because you, I mean, you'd think that they'd build off that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think to be honest, and I always say this with any team outside the proverbial top six that's not maybe doing what Leicester's doing now or Aston Villa, um, or West you've got Ham. to. Yeah, I'd say for most teams outside the traditional top six, you expect to run a form where it's just not going your way. So Southampton, that's, as I said, were top of the league in December. And people were talking about, you know, hysterical people were talking about a Champions League finish. Some people were talking about a Europa League finish. And to be honest, I thought they had an outside chance for seventh at the time. I actually had them down for seventh in my uh, predictions at the start of the season. And it obviously didn't turn out that way, but that shouldn't be... It doesn't make them as... I know what you say about relegation form, but again, it's something you should expect if you're not one of that... Yeah, no, I group. agree. And 
I, I don't think they're going to get dragged into anything. I think they'll turn it around. They've got they've got good players. They've got a good manager. I think they'll be yeah. okay. Well, one thing we talked about. Well, one thing I mentioned a lot in the first topic was club identity, and Hassan Hootel's given Southampton a club identity: high press, high work off the ball, move the ball quickly on the ball, and play. Oh, it's in a four four two as well. Yeah, well. 4-4-2, I call it more of a 4-2-2-2 because the, the wingers... 4-2-2-2. 4-2-2-2. The wingers are more... They've shifted a bit further inside the pitch and they're more like central... Well, right attacking midfield, left attacking midfield. Someone's um, been playing too much FIFA. No, I, know, I was going to say, but they are. It's more <laughs> it's more narrow. You don't see them necessarily using the... Uh, push it, pulling out wide. They're inside the pitch. And that helps when you press... It helps to get the ball quickly into the into the attackers. Ings has particularly thrived under Hasenu to last season, got over twenty goals for Southampton, and I think you know it's it, it's a style that when they're in top form, it, they can take some beating. In many ways, it mirrors a little bit. He was called, he's been dubbed, and he didn't like being dubbed the Alpine Clock, but you can see in a way why he's got that nickname because I wouldn't want to be called that either. No, but you can see why he's got the nickname in a sense because. They play with a high line, they play with high intensity, they move the ball fast and they entertain. When they're on top form, there is a bit of a mirroring image with how Liverpool play, except no, with there is There players. is similarities, isn't there, in that, yeah. that almost the, the Gagan press mm. that's yeah. been trademarked yeah. by Klopp uh, uh-huh. is, is a way that they like to play. But what, what do you think has gone wrong for them then? Because obviously, I mean, we, we're waxing lyrical about them there, but yep. the results haven't, haven't quite been at that level, have they? No, I think... I think, well, we've, they've had a lot of injuries and they've had a lot of injuries to two key personnel. Kyle Walker-Peters has been out for quite a few games. He came back and he's got injured again. Um, yeah, such is his look. One. Yeah, it's it's just very unfortunate. And Ings, is, Ings hasn't been too bad, actually, with injuries. He's missed the odd game here and there, but he's not been too bad. But when he Ings doesn't play... Ings is the big one, isn't he? He's, yeah. He's almost their kind of talisman, isn't he? Him and, him and Ward-Prowse are the two... The two players that you look at Southampton in, uh, and they can kind of rely on. Uh, Vestergaard's missed quite a few games as well. Yeah. He's yeah. an important yeah. player. I, mm. I think that's... We've said it about every team, though. And yeah. It's almost feel, it's almost a difficult thing to use as an excuse. No, I feel like it, it. no, but I feel like it's different because what you see with Southampton is a solid starting 11, a solid first 11. And then behind that, yeah. what we saw against Man United when they lost 9-0, um, yeah. you, you, can, you can quote... You can tell me the name of the player because I forgot I the can't name of the player. Got either, you know. <laughs> Fantastic! Hang on, this is going to be a pointless out. answer at One some second. point. No, 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 but no. It's he, get well, he had he has a, a really bad record for for getting booked in the under twenty threes, and uh, and so it's almost a, a no surprise that he did get sent off. A little bit of a surprise at the time in the in the game that he got sent off, uh, and that that kind of led to the nine 0 didn't it? <laughs> You had you had Southampton fans saying, "Oh, not again!" After one Alex goal. Jankovic, Jankovic, that's it. Jankovic, Alex really Jankovic. Highlighting our knowledge. Can't really right. do it so seamlessly now. I was trying to find out, and then you kept talking about him. Um, Alex Jankovic. Well, I'd rather wear it with pride. I wouldn't. Um, Alex Jankovic. Uh, yeah, young player, as you said, had a questionable record um, with his, with his bookings, and then. Then he got suspended, but that was that was testament to the fact that he the, the squad was on its knees really, and he comes in in a game at Old Trafford, big game against Man United, one of the well, second in the league at this moment in time, and doing really well 
when they well in, in still in that healthy position when they two played each other again I think I think he'd been watching our podcast uh, listening to our podcast where I said that McTominay was world class and he's tried to take him out of the game yeah, possibly uh, it was quite <laughs> a rough tackle I must say and that's the point though uh his inclusion in that lineup should never have been a thing in a, in a big game at Old Trafford like that it shouldn't have it shouldn't have happened and 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 that shows the the lack of for example if Romeo gets injured now um i think they got Diallo actually who's not a bad backup in that in that um, central midfield play um position to come in but it maybe again still quite young still quite unproven but again the, that's probably a bad example because he's actually done quite well when he's come in. But there's other positions. Uh, left back, no real cover for Bertrand because Target went to Villa uh, not too long ago. He's done really well at Villa, actually. Yeah, probably the it. best thing he ever did. Kicked on. Um, but again, it Ings goes. you now got Minamino, who could play alongside Adams. Walcott can play there. But Minamino's not a traditional out-and-out striker. Neither is Walcott. Walcott's more been more wide used as a wide yep. forward or, or a winger so essentially why have they done badly injuries and secondly my second point as to why they've done badly is because the style of play needs a big squad it needs rotation because they put a lot of physical effort into get into every single game particularly they, yeah at this point in the season it's almost hammered home isn't it and i think you're really seeing this season more than ever i mean we're seeing more injuries we're seeing I think a lot more fatigue and I think the quality of the football has really gone downhill over mm. this kind of period where there's mm. two games a week every week for every team. Mm. Well, I just, yeah, I, I do think that and I do think that Southampton, as I say, they're, they're definitely fatigue and tiredness is coming into it a little bit. I think when I yeah. look as well at the starting eleven, I do think, and I've thought this for a while really, with... With Alex McCarthy, I think he's an all right goalkeeper, but I think the standard of goalkeeper in you. the Premier League is really high. I'm with we you. Talk on this, about, yeah. We talk about a lot. Of, we were talking about the teams that could go down before. Um, Ariola, really good goalkeeper. Nick Pope, really, really good goalkeeper. Yep. Um, I actually think Carl Darlow and Martin Dubravka for Newcastle, very good at saving a lot of yep. shots as well. Done Sanchez well. is a good keeper. Sanchez is a good keeper. I mean, we questioned... Sam Johnston <laughs> is a good keeper. Sam Johnston's solid, yeah. Yeah, yep. although although I think it's really important. I do think that we can't compare all of those too much to Alex McCarthy because I actually think McCarthy as a shot stopper is not too bad. I think he, he's, he can be quite good. I think good. That's, the, that's the issue, isn't it? It's just a lot of... He's just quite an average keeper. He, he's a good backup. Uh, but he's playing every game. Well, yeah, I've got Fraser he's... Forster as well in the back background. Mm. He could come in again. It doesn't. It doesn't fill my nerves with confidence as Fraser Forster. I think no. the thing. I just think to... back to that game for Celtic against Barcelona. <laughs> if he plays like that every game, then they're, they're but, great. But he doesn't. That's <laughs> the point. And also, I think it's worth distinguishing some of the. I did mention some of the keepers at the smaller clubs, and to give Alex McCarthy a bit of uh, leeway here, they are literally asked to be. Just shot stoppers, some of those, particularly yeah. the Newcastle keepers, Pope as well. Pope, Although, yeah. No, but Pope does come and claim crosses, so he does take he some does, things yeah. into his own he hands. Does. He's very good at that. Probably one of the best in the league at claiming crosses, actually. But with McCarthy, and this is a high line Southampton team, 
Of course, they do have a good defence, but it means that sometimes McCarthy has to come out, sweep up the danger, come out, yeah. command his box. And he doesn't fill me with confidence with that. I remember a game, actually, at the start of the season where they played Tottenham and they lost 5-2. And there yeah. was a moment where Song came through. He ran out, yeah. he stopped, he went back. He scared and he, of Son, didn't he? He, he did. Yeah, and, he, and he was off position and then Son shot across him. And it was he shouldn't really have saved it. It was a good finish, but it was his, you know... You almost knew it was a guaranteed goal because he wasn't set. He didn't know where he was going. Was he coming? Was he staying on his line? Did he want to close him down? I think he could have got the ball actually if he'd ran out yeah. and committed. And that's just now, one moment. And I don't. Now, I, um, go on, no, go on, finish. No, I was just going to say, all, for Southampton, the way they play, I feel like they could do with a keeper who's very good with his feet, who's confident in his mind when he commands the box. I think every as well team as could that, do with a keeper like that. <laughs> no, but not sometimes. For example, Burnley with Pope, they don't need a keeper that's brilliant with no, his feet. Yeah, yeah, Newcastle exactly. with Dubravka or or Darlow, they don't need a keeper that's brilliant with his feet. At the moment, Roy Hodgson, Crystal Palace, Guaita doesn't need to be a ball playing keeper. Yeah, but Southampton they do need it because I think it shows a bit more, particularly the way they want to play. They like to come out from the back. It'd be, I mean, imagine it's going to be. A, you could say imagine Martinez at any club, but Martinez at Southampton would be great because he he, he has the confidence yeah. to command his his eighteen yard box. He has the confidence to play not just um, short passes, but mid range passes, long passes, and he does it in a way where he looks comfortable. There's nothing worse than trying to play. I think out from the back with a goalkeeper that is looks scared or tentative He's when trying to find struggling with confidence. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree, and I think that that's something that they ought to be looking at in the summer is a goalkeeper that can come in and, and really kind of make that position his own. Uh, now, I was looking through some stats, though, actually, and one thing that we mentioned was fatigue. And, and this is some interesting stats on Understat, uh, which is a great website if anyone is interested, that look at how many goals a team has conceded and scored in the first half or, or at least in 15-minute intervals throughout a, a game. Now, Southampton have scored 19 and conceded 15. Uh, in the first 45 minutes of Premier League games this season. So they have a, a plus four goal difference in the first half. And the second half, they've scored 11, conceded 24 yep. in the second half. So this almost really highlights that that fatigue element and the fact that they're really struggling going into the second halves. And it's something we saw with Spurs. It's something we've seen with a couple of other teams. Uh, I think that's a, a, a really big issue and it's something that's going to be worrying Hasenhut. And it, and it illustrates the point. Imagine having a having a, a stronger squad depth means that on yeah. the hour mark you can bring on a fresh pair of legs that you know will make the genuine difference in in any position really. Um, and you're absolutely right. I do think there is a, that, that fatigue is a really big thing with Hasenhutl, and you probably see it at times with Leeds. I think there'll be periods where Leeds, the energy they put into games, will come a cropper. And we saw that a little bit over the, just at the end of the Christmas period um, yeah. and going into January where they're on a bit of a barren run. They lost 3-0 to Crawley in the Cup as well. So with these high-energy, high-press teams, imperative that they have more depth beyond the starting eleven than just having yeah, a strong no, starting eleven base. And that's it, hard it? to do when you're not one of your traditionally big clubs with big, big budgets. And don't necessarily have the budget yet to bring in a squad player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, another, another stat that I saw as well is a positive one, actually, for Southampton. And... Mm-hmm. It's something that I think is down to having good players like Vestergaard. And I actually quite like Bednarek as well, but I think yep. Vestergaard in particular. Mm. Uh, they've only conceded three goals this season from set pieces, including corners and free mm. kicks, mm. which I think is a really great record. It's I think I, I had a quick flip through. I think it's the fourth best in the league. 
just after some of the big clubs like City. And that's, and that's good that you can teach defensive organisation to a team that likes to play on the front foot and almost a yeah. lesson to Marcelo Bielsa that, you know, if you have to give him one, that one of the things that Leeds struggle with in particular is, is set yeah. pieces. So oh, yeah, it can be worked on the training ground. A lot more. <laughs> but but it helps having the likes of Vestergaard who are quite big and physical and do yeah. Leeds have the same level of physical and big players I'm not sure more technically gifted ones one would imagine and mainly A doesn't command this box mad you if it does McCarthy but no. something you can work on on the training ground I think is is the message there and fair play yeah. to Southampton for that Definitely. anyway okay so now we're moving on to our fourth topic and we've covered um, all of the foreign leagues now and going to the Bundesliga for pre- on previous episodes we've again the French League yeah it might be again we've covered the French League <laughs> we've covered Serie A uh, we've covered La Liga we might have covered the Bundesliga before, but I can't remember. One thing that we do have that's worth noteworthy in Germany this week is the appointment today, which is Monday for when we've recorded the podcast, of Marco Rosa from, well, he's not actually officially joined Dortmund today, but it's a pre-contractual agreement. In the summer, he'll join Borussia Dortmund. He'll finish this year with uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. They're not doing quite as well as they have done in the league, probably, but... Maybe that's partly due to the fact they're now in the knockouts of the Champions League and they've, they've yeah. given a good go in that tournament. They've got quite a tough draw in that, though, haven't they? <laughs> but no, anyway. Well, yeah, no. I remember doing this podcast with the original uh, team of people. James obviously did it, but also Declan. Declan, uh, who was a big United fan, but also uh, an avid uh, watcher of Borussia Mönchengladbach. And he loved the influence of Marco Rosa, someone who came in took a club's ambitions to the next level. I mean, last year, they were leading the Bundesliga around the December period, and people thought, they can't, can they? And they couldn't, because uh, Bayern Munich won. But they did do a really good job on a budget with a, with, a young, with a young, average um, age squad. The issue, I think, with Mönchengladbach and Marco Rosa is, after getting them into the Champions League, giving them a really good go um, for that league title, it fell away a little bit, inevitably. And now, outside of the Champions League places, albeit in the knockout stages for uh, the Champions League uh, in terms of the competition this season, he probably looks at it and thinks, I can't really do any more. The ceiling's yeah. not going to be as high as it will be at Borussia Dortmund, the, the Bundesliga's nearly men, the team that often finish second year on year or you know, sometimes, usually in the top four. The Dortmund now risk not finishing in the top four for the first time since 14-15, which was when Jurgen Klopp left the club and was replaced mid-season by Thomas Tuchel. So from Marco Rosa's point of view, is it simply joining the club with the higher ceiling? Yeah, well, uh, put it this way. I think there's a, there's a good chance that he'll have quite a big war chest almost this summer. Uh, I, I can see a world where he loses both Sancho and Haaland. Mm. But as I say, that would give them a, a, a lot of money to work with and he can almost build his squad the way he wants. Obviously, it's not a great start to lose two of your best players, but mm. it's certainly it's certainly a nice project to build from, isn't it? If he does have that money to spend. Well, yeah, I mean, Marco Rosa, as, we, as, as you've said, uh, he could have this big budget. What we do know is that, well, we'll talk on why I'm not sure it'll be as big as you might think in a second, but um, when he was describing his style, um, his playing style, it was emotional, emo- emotionality, hunger, and being active. 
We want to be very active against the ball, sprint a lot. We want to win high balls, have short ways to to the goal. We don't want to play high and wide, but fast, dynamic and actively forward. Stated his preference is a 4-4-2 diamond. Uh, I've always played a diamond when I've had the opportunity to bring it, uh, to do it, bringing in two strikers. Says his system, uh, in his system, uh, he likes to play with three up front, which is something like a diamond with the cam and the two and the two forwards. But he's also used 4-3-3 and 4-2-3-1 at Munch and Gladbach. So tactical fluidity uh, there from Marco Rosa. But what I like, actually, is the way he talks is almost echoing what Jurgen Klopp builds his managerial style on. And obviously, you look at the glory years under Jurgen Klopp and under Borussia Dortmund, it was gag and press, as we've touched on with Southampton. High intensity, high attacking football, fast, fast, work hard, close down, exhaust the opposition. You get a bit of that from Tuchel, but not quite, not the same extent. Tuchel's much more of a tactician. And obviously, Lucien Favre, who's come in again, tactician, more of a tactician. And Lucien Favre, for me, when he was at the club, didn't have the same personality or... No, definitely um, not. As the other two. And I felt that was a factor because there were games what Borussia Dortmund were going into, particularly against Bayern Munich, where you thought, this could be their time. And they were awful. They just collapsed. And I felt, I looked at the manager and I just thought, he doesn't have the ability to motivate these players like a Jurgen Klopp would do. He's not his, inspiring, is he? He's not, no. he's not as inspiring. And that's, not a, and that's not an attack on Lucien Favre, who had a really good managerial record up to that point. But that was at small, traditionally smaller clubs who he got to develop and do better than they were expected to do. And at Dortmund, while they're not the elite club of a Bayern or someone like that, they are a very big club, like just the under, under the elite, a very, an almost Tottenham Hotspur-esque club. So that's the next step on the ladder, I guess, uh, for him. And it couldn't quite work. Marco Rosa, this would be his biggest managerial job um, of his career. And with those comments, Jordan, that he's touched on with his style and the way he plays, it does seem like Dortmund are trying to bring about that hunger and desire that they had in, in years gone by. It seems to be they seem to be a bit bereft of that at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it almost suits the club and the mantra that the fans try to have, especially obviously there's no fans in the stadium at the minute, but I think that that's something that will benefit them when they go back. Uh, obviously, you kind of envisage the the yellow wall and this fact fiery passion that they have I think it's yeah it's definitely a good match and it's yeah, it seems like it's going to be a, a, a good deal for them but as I've kind of alluded to I, I yeah. think there's quite a good chance that they lose two of the star men which isn't a great start well no it's not but the one one thing that's also interesting is Marco Rosa when he was was obviously the manager of Red Bull Salzburg and has already yeah. managed Erling Haaland yes yeah. They maybe the Borussia Dortmund hierarchy are hoping to get another twelve months out of their well, there's, talismanic striker. I guess there's that idea, isn't there, that, that that's maybe part of the reason they've gone for him and they've maybe been in Haaland's ear. But I just think there's so many teams that are going to be looking for a striker. Mm. There's this rumored buyout clause for Haaland uh, in the following summer, yeah. which I think gives gives Dortmund more incentive to sell this summer because they can get a much bigger fee. Yeah, so it, it almost comes down to how much they're willing to spend for an extra year, or at least mm. not how much they're willing to lose for an extra year of Ireland. Well, yeah, I mean the forty-five million euros in debt, and depending on where they finish this year, if they finish outside the Champions League positions, the situation just gets a lot worse. And also with Marco Rosa not coming in till the summer, he can't really he can't control what goes on no at that point so it's going to be interesting if they finish outside the Champions League spots they're resigned to losing those two players although 
from Haaland's perspective, I'd actually think Borussia Dortmund's a great club to to develop a talent like himself. He's done. He's, he's basically carried his game to the next level already. I'd be. I'd almost be wanting under my previous manager who I'd done well for maybe another 12 months, even if Jadon Sancho, I think, will go. I think it's his time to go personally. Um, I, I I think that's part of the reason why they've got him in. It's a tough one. I'm not going to jump into early Harlan shoes and say what 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 would yeah. happen. But I don't think yeah, it's that's unreasonable the thing. I think, to I think. think. he's better off leaving, but it is, mm. no, absolutely not. It's it is potential for him to stay. Absolutely. Yeah. I think Jadon Sancho will go because I think the right is on the wall there. He was supposed to go this summer, really, but he didn't. Um, and he's going to go for less money than what he could have gone for yeah, in the previous. He's not summer. had a great season, has he? He's, I think he scored his fourth goal mm. uh, this weekend of the season. Mm. It's mm-hmm. not a great return, mm. but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have to just see what happens in the summer, really. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, again, it'll be interesting from their point of view. I watched, I watched some of the game against Hoffenheim this weekend, two-two, and it was horrendous. I mean, Jadon Sancho and Haaland scored two. Goals um, like they've been doing. Sancho's form has improved actually since Favre is sacking. Um, but it's not the attack that's the problem. The defence is horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. And one problem I've always had with Dortmund recently is the goalkeeper, Roman Berkey, who I've never been convinced with, um, plays out from the back fairly well. Never ever for me commanding enough or consistent enough to be a mainstay in that Borussia Dortmund team. He actually wasn't playing this this weekend uh, because no. he's been injured. And Mar- Marvin Hitz has been was in Marvin. was deputy. Mar- I went all American then. Was in goal <laughs> and Hitz was awful. I mean, at fault he for two of the goals. No, it was terrible. Well, and it just defensively, Hummels, was, Hummels made a couple of really bad mistakes as well. I think the mm. just gen- I mean. Even the goals that Dortmund scored, that was bad defending. I think well, we've just yeah, seen yeah. some horrendous defending across the Bundesliga mm. in the past few months, not just mm. this week, but it's, mm. it's, it's almost endemic within the Bundesliga at the minute. It's the way they're playing and how many goals we see where a team is breaking from the halfway line and they're one-on-one with the keeper. Yeah. No, you're right. I think there's there's, there's, it, it, there's been a few dodgy defensive Mishaps in that in that division, and, and Dortmund are no stranger to that. I just think it for a team like that, it's shocking to see. Really, their attack's quite good. The midfield's very, the midfield's still quite okay as well. But they just it's just that defense. It just doesn't fill anyone with confidence, and a goalkeeper that doesn't fill you with confidence either. It's not good. Hummels can't do it by himself. Hummels also has been he wasn't too good at the weekend. So it's yeah, it, it, it's a very big problem, and that's a big. Achilles heel for them whenever they want to be serious in anything I think that's that's always holding them back and has been for some time the defensive Achilles heel yeah that, well that's okay. maybe one thing that is an extra reason to sell Haaland and Sancho which mm-hmm. sounds preposterous but yeah. I mean they've got Mukoko coming through yep. he's only 16 he, he looks he like is, a very yeah. good attacker he does uh, I mean they can maybe rely on that attack already and they can mm-hmm. invest that money again into the defence and that's the goalkeeper true. yeah uh, no, and I'm sure, and depending on what the losses are, hopefully they will be able to reinvest a bit of that money. They do do well with uh, incoming sure signings right. usually, and, and and they do get some bargains across across Europe. And just uh, we, we've talked about Dortmund quite a lot there, but just to touch on a few other things with Bayern uh, winning the Club World Cup, uh, Benjamin Pavard goal uh, late run into the box, basically a tap in uh, against Tigres, um, and they are. Yeah, I mean, we expected them to win the Club World Cup. They had a bit of a break. It's a bit of a joke tournament, isn't it? I don't know why it counts as a major honour. No. 
if you, I mean, if you win the Champions League, you should be winning the Club World Cup. So, yeah, yeah. I, but yeah, yeah, it's still it's still a good thing for them. Kimmich also scored a disallowed goal that was a really great finish as well. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, I agree. It's not you should win that. I don't think there's many instances, if any instances, where the Champions League team haven't won it. I don't know. I haven't looked into that. So please feel free to let me know if there is. But um, yeah, I it, it, you don't you expect them to do that, and they got Upamecano in, who was heavily linked with the Premier League. He's going to join in the summer. In, uh, they activated his buyout clause of forty three million euros, which is about thirty seven million pounds. Um, and it, it's a brilliant signing, really, because as I touched on, Bayern's central defensive partnership it's not brilliant compared to it's just quite fast. You know, it's quite fast. <laughs> in, Pretty yeah. much the main priority for the way they play. Yeah, really. it, it, but, yeah. an, an experience. is definitely a an upgrade and he's also very fast himself so it's yeah. a good signing I think it's a bit of a boring signing uh, yeah. I'd have liked to see him come to the Prem but yeah. not to be they're very good though I can see why he's gone to buy in and they're very good aren't they Bayern at, at recruiting the best talent of the domestic talent absolutely yeah. absolutely they, amazing at that it's, it's no surprise that they <laughs> they keep winning yeah really. just, just touch on it as well Leipzig second 2-1 uh, win over Augsburg um, yep. Leipzig without Timo Werner struggled a little bit on the goal scoring front I know you yep. like Paulson but he's I not like quite Paulson. he's not as explosive as Werner was I think Paul. he no he's he's not getting the same number of goals he, he reminds the reason I like him he reminds me a lot of DCL in the fact that in that is uh, in the fact that he's he's fast he's good in the air he'll hold the ball up and he'll get involved in everything and then I also like Nkunku just behind him. I think yeah. he's a very good player as well. It's all about the tactical set of Nagelsmann though, isn't it? The way that they do so well. Yeah. It's down to the system evil, that he's built. Evil villain Nagelsmann, yeah. Evil villain Nagelsmann. Fantastic. Okay, so that's that for now. Well, for this episode, for more transfer news and results-based information, follow Transfer News Central, follow TNC Football. Uh, it's sister social media account. For other wonderful podcasts, follow Big Heads Media Podcasts. And uh, also, I should champion the 15 Moff Pod Twitter account at 15 Moff Pod. 15 minutes great football tweets podcast. Some, some great tweets on there. Well. Some awful ones. Sometimes me, sometimes Jordan. Probably me if I reply. Probably uh, not Jordan again if I reply, which is the same thing I've said twice. But we should be on iTunes, Spotify, Transistor. Transistor is very good because you can actually listen to it on the tweet itself, which I've noticed. So you don't even need to click on another link. You click on the tweet and then you can click on the play button on the tweet and you can listen to it directly there without going to any other third party websites. But I also am aware that probably the best way I've been told by many to listen to podcasts like this is through Spotify or iTunes. So depending on whether you're an Apple fan or or you... Yep. You're not a big fan of the Apple brand or product. Listen to us on there if you want and be tuned. Get it on there. Go for a yeah. run. Yeah. Happy as Larry. Go for a run. Have a sit down in the comfort of your own home. You'll be doing quite a lot of that, I imagine. So wherever you are, enjoy this and stay with us throughout our episodes. We'll be on next week with more four topics in 15 minutes with a few rambles in between. Take care. Stay safe. And thanks for listening. <laughs>